in the wrong place. Nope, nope, you're right. No, Welcome we to we hear you. Plugs Need Heroes. You're good. It sounded like you guys were in the middle of a conversation or something. <laughs> oh yeah, we were just we were just chatting before you got here. <laughs> oh okay. <laughs> no, you're fine. My last sip of water in. <laughs> get hydrated, Amanda. Get hydrated. All right. Hello, friends and fiends. Welcome to Bugs Need Heroes, a podcast where an artist and an entomologist team up to illustrate the inspiring abilities of insects by creating a bug-themed superhero. I'm Amanda. And I'm Kelly. Producer Derek and his cat Rotunda are also here. Before we get started creating this bug-inspired hero, what's bugging you, Kelly? Oh, um, no. I know you hate them and I have no complaints. You gotta get on the (laughs) complaint train with me. I know. Um, I just had my 10-year wedding anniversary. So oh, very exciting. I do love love. Yeah, so it, all you good still, news. You still like him? I do. I do. I think I'll keep him. Still keep him, keep him around. Him <laughs> He's fantastic. Um, he helps make this podcast happen, which is nice. Shout out so. to tolerant husbands who let us disappear yes. <laughs> for hours at a time. <laughs> How about you, Amanda? What's bugging you? Oh, what's bugging me? I stepped on a nail this week, um, and it has thrown my whole life, of course. <laughs> oh, no. Because, like, suddenly all the things you do every day are, like, way harder when you can't use one of your feet. Let me just say, it's a bummer. It's a bummer. Uh, don't step on nails. That's what's bugging me this week. <laughs> Luckily, it went through my heel instead of, like, through, like, the arch of my foot. That would have been, like, a real problem. But Ooh. Oh, gosh. Yeah. Well, I'm don't glad you're Okay. Me. Thank you. Thank you. Uh, luckily, I didn't get like some horrible disease or anything from like a nasty, rusty nail. No tetanus up to, or uh, up to date bacterial on all my infections. Shots. Yeah, that's what I was really worried about was the bacterial infections because uh, nails are usually not the cleanest thing on, on the planet. No. So mm, don't recommend that. <sighs> but I've been well, looking forward to doing this podcast. So I'm doing that now. <laughs> Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're very excited, as excited as I am for our guest yes. today. I love when we have special um, guests. Me too. It makes it a lot more fun. So please welcome Dr. Oh, also, I guess Derek is reminding me, this is our one year anniversary show. We're just about. So you've been doing this a whole yeah. year already? It's that seems year, crazy. Yeah. That seems nuts <laughs> to me. But I guess it makes sense. Like I had like a fresh baby when we started and now she's walking around. So yeah. timeline it checks out it checks out this timeline well that makes it even more exciting to have a guest um so welcome to our anniversary show dr matthias nordvig <laughs> who is a, a professor of pre-christian nordic mythologies and scandinavian folklore dr nordvig welcome to the cast thank you so much um and i'm very sorry to hear that you stepped on a nail, Amanda. That sounds <laughs> <Yeah>. pretty awful. <laughs> it, was, uh, it sucked. It, 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 I'm actually surprised I recovered so quickly. Like, I feel mostly, if I have shoes on, I can walk pretty normal. But uh, that oh, first two days yeah. where it was like, it, it's weird because it hurts in your foot, which mm. on your foot makes sense. But in your foot is like a weird sensation in comparison to normal. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's like when you get an itch on your foot, but it's like in your foot and it's itchy. I yeah, don't yeah. Before. It's, yeah. It, but pain. it was weird. I didn't enjoy it. I would not recommend zero out of ten. 
Well, uh, oh, Derek wants to know what day this happened. Uh, it was last Thursday, and today is Tuesday. So Oof. it's been a few days. Okay. Hasn't been quite a been a week. Amanda is not known for her, her grace and balance. No, <laughs> I'm just stumbling around this world. Uh, my low center of gravity helps me not fall over. I just step on everything on the way, though. <laughs> <laughs> well, we are super excited today. Um, I guess the show is a little bit different than usual because normally we pick one bug. But um, Matthias is here to talk to us about insects in general in Nordic mythology. Is there a lot a lot of examples of this? No. <laughs> that's that's the funny thing. Um so yeah, it's it's quite interesting. I, I know of um one example where there's a mention of an insect, and that is just like a generic fly, like in, mm. in the old Norse language. And then um then we have another story. Um which is the story about how Odin gets the meat of poetry, um, which I think actually um, can be interpreted in uh, sort of relation to hmm. the activity of bees. Okay. So, oh, so, oh, first, sorry, Matthias. Yeah. First, can you let us know what um, Nordic is and what part of the world we're discussing for those oh, yeah, who are unfamiliar? You say yeah. Nordic and my brain goes probably somewhere Denmark. north <laughs> yeah like through like sweden and norway i call it scandiwegian but scandiwegian yeah that's a good term <laughs> i like that <laughs> yeah so and that's that's actually also kind of complicated so um in scandinavia we use the term nordic to refer to anything uh sort of like north of germany so that would be denmark sweden mm-hmm. um norway finland iceland and greenland as well um, and that's a, I would say, the most inclusive term because it doesn't sort of uh, hint at any ethnicities or uh, sort of give give primacy to to any sp- specific part of that region. Mm-hmm. Um, the thing is that you know these different countries they have uh, a more than thousand year old history together in in many different ways. They are culturally uh, overlapping um, but but there are many different ethnicities and and languages being spoken here for instance in Greenland um, the, the indigenous population is Inuit and so that makes them uh, North American and you have Icelanders who are geographically not you know part of Scandinavia and and so we don't call them Scandinavia for that reason and for other political cultural reasons and Finland, it's the same thing and so on, but, but they all have a lot in common. <laughs> so to speak. Right. Yeah. Uh, we hear the word uh, Norse being used a lot and not yeah. Nordic. What is with that? Yeah, that's, that's actually a big problem. <laughs> is it? <laughs> yes. We've stumbled upon discourse. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, okay. So I will give you my Norse rant. I, I actually <laughs> sure. have a Norse rant. Um, so the, the, the term Norse uh, originates in Danish and, and Norwegian, and it just means Norwegian. Um, in the 1580s, it was... Um, a, borrowed into English, um, probably through sailors um, interacting mm-hmm. as um, as a term for, for, for Norway. Um, and then in the 19th century, 
the uh, uh, scholars who are dealing with what we call Old Norse literature, right? So medieval Icelandic primarily and secondarily Norwegian uh, literature, uh, they started using the term Old Norse to uh, in, in English uh, to translate the Old Icelandic term Norain. Norain is a linguistic distinction that Icelanders came up with in the 1200s to distinguish their language and also the language spoken on the Western Norwegian coast uh, from, for instance, Danish and Swedish, because they noticed oh, okay. certain linguistic developments that had happened. Um, and so that was in use in the in the 19th century and, and 20th century. And now the term Norse has just become anything that has to do with sort of like back in the day in Scandinavia. Right, right. <laughs> That's actually really problematic <laughs> because the, uh, the, the, for instance, people sort of like conflate Norse and Viking Age. Yeah. And mm. and Norse is actually the Old Norse language, that language that is Icelandic is called Norrein. It actually develops after the Viking Age in the 1100s. Mm. So when we talk about the language that they spoke, for instance, in the Viking Age, uh, we would call that something like, there are different terms for it, uh, Old mm -hmm. Nordic, uh, Common Scandinavian. Um, some also call it Rune Nordic or Rune Danish, Rune Swedish, Rune Norwegian, because it's wow. you know written in runes. So, yeah. And nowadays... It's a lot more complicated than I was expecting. Yeah. It's a lot more complicated. It's like my problem with Renaissance fairs in America, where they're like, "Come to the right. Renaissance fair, dress up," and it's like anything from like eleven hundred to sixteen hundred is like fair game. I'm like, this is yeah. a long time, you guys. A lot of stuff happened in these five hundred years, right? And, and funky horns, and I don't know what. Yeah. <laughs> Fairy wings. And, yeah. And and yeah, I mean, uh, nowadays uh, scholars have just like thrown caution to the wind, so you can see anybody, archaeologists. Uh, you know, uh, history, historians of religion, all kinds of scholars, um, whether they're Scandinavian or uh, from somewhere else, they just use the term Norse as mm. sort of like, this is a catch-all for that period <laughs> up there. This, this reminds me of the uh, issue we have in, uh, in biology, as, as a biologist of taxonomy, mm -hmm. where things start to get very specific language-wise, the language we use. Um, sometimes it's a fly, which is a real general term for anything with two wings, like a diptera. And other times it's very specific. It's a mosquito. Right. So yeah, like words, <laughs> words have meaning is the, is the issue. <laughs> yeah. And, and, and I would say, so my little pet peeve with all of this is that, uh, if we use that term Norse to just describe any, anything up there in, in that period, um, then we're also glossing over a lot of ethnic and regional and mm. local identities right yeah, and like the sami people right the sami right. people also the political differences between iceland and norway for, for mm. that matter right like i'm pretty sure icelanders would like to be considered icelandic instead of norwegian yeah um, <laughs> uh, small difference right small so difference right? <laughs> all those only an ocean right? between them it's no big deal right <laughs> oh that's fascinating um Thank you. I'm glad we, we've cleared that up at least. Yeah. So, Kelly, how familiar how familiar are you with Nordic mythos, Kelly? Because I only know like the like the kids book version of stuff. Like <laughs> I know that like Odin plucks out his eye at one point. Mm -hmm. 
I know that there's a big tree. I want to say it's called Idrisil. No, that's a yeah, Lord of the yeah. Rings no, sword. No, 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 no that's no, right. No, no, okay, okay, okay. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I know that Freya has a chariot pulled by cats. That sounds right. <laughs> yes, and... yes. Norris Dorlison did, did say that in 1220. Uh, yes. <laughs> I know no, that you're doing everyone... pretty good. Everyone yeah. likes Balder, except for Loki, who gets him killed with mistletoe. That's all I know. All right, yeah. That's it. <laughs> um, I'm a, I'm a big old. Uh, I know you love Thor nerd. and the MCU and the Marvel. I do, yeah. In general, well, very different, right? very different. Marvel, very, Thor, very different. And... Yeah. I was gonna ask. And... I was gonna ask if how. How com- comparable are they? Like, would you? They're. they're I. Uh, I mean, they're strong. That's about. It yeah. And handsome, I guess They're that would strong, be strong, handsome fellows who love um, to hit things with Thor, a hammer. Thor in the mythos has a they call him a red beard, so I don't think he would look like Chris Hemsworth, but we can we can dream, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> if we recast all mythos, they're all going to be yeah. drop dead gorgeous, of course. Yes, I'm I'm looking at my my behind my desk, I have a little shelf space, and I have the poetic Edda. I have um, how Thor lost his thunder. Um, mm. I have I have a whole bunch. Thor is my favorite of the Nordic gods, so I have every book I could find on him. Cool. Um, but yeah, I'm a, a bit of a a bit of a nerd, I guess, in that way. I have, I have Gaiman's Gaiman's uh, yeah. comic book adaptions, which are cute. So, <laughs> so we've we've <laughs> talked on this podcast about being myth kids for the Greek and Roman. You know, kind of conflated between the two, uh, being you grow mythos up with kids that, that stuff, way. Yeah. Were you a myth kid, Matthias, or did um, you come into this later? Uh, no, I I was definitely a myth kid. <laughs> I, <laughs> I've never uh, encountered that term before, but uh, but that actually is very applicable. Um, yeah, no, I uh, so but I would say to a degree, all Scandinavians are because we're taught this stuff in school. Oh, okay, um, I see. So it's sort of like the the cultural uh, education that we get because it's when do you learn this in school? When is it like elementary? Yeah, yeah, it's very early, um, and I I would say probably in in fourth or fifth grade is when. <laughs> so it really depends on the teachers as well. So um, in Denmark specifically, we actually have a class called Christianity class, um, because um, you know. Lutheranism is our state religion, oh, so okay. so 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 you have to have Christianity in class, and um, uh, that is broadly interpreted to also include Nordic mythology. Really? <laughs> oh, yes. Okay. <laughs> um, and that's a that that has something to do with with our our history. So back in the nineteenth century, there was a uh, pretty uh, influential. A uh, Danish pastor who devised a pedagogy for uh, teaching the general public all kinds of things, and um, and he was like, "Well, we have to start with Nordic mythology and Viking heroes, of course." So, yeah. uh, so that's th- yeah. awesome. <laughs> <laughs> so that's still a thing, and this this is also the reason um, other Scandinavians learn about this stuff in in school at some point. Um, his his pedagogy was adopted in Norway and Sweden and Iceland as well. And oh, um, that's so cool. Yeah, I'm so, jealous. I'm very jealous. Yeah. Well, well our, I mean, oh, sorry. sorry. Go so ahead. So our 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 mother's maiden name is Hansen, 
Well, I'll mm-hmm. just tell you. Her her full name is Kirsten Hansen. She is okay. <laughs> her family's Danish. So we're okay. That's probably the only link to cultural anything as Americans that we really have is that my mother is Danish <laughs> and my, my grandfather lived probably about a third of his life in Denmark proper. Okay. And my, yeah. my mom kind of jumped around between Denmark. She lived in Sweden for a while. Mm-hmm. Um, so I'm su- I was just surprised that she doesn't have a lot of this education, but I'm realizing now that she was, she spoke Swedish till she was about five and then she moved back to the U.S., and now mm-hmm. no longer speaks any German, Swedish, Danish. Because at one point she was like this little polyglot kid. And now she's lost <laughs> all of it. <laughs> Which right, to her yeah. eternal. All of her siblings were older than her. So they all still speak various conglomerations of these languages. Yeah. But So I was surprised yeah. to hear that they uh, they just teach it straight in school. Because my mom doesn't know it. But I, she must have been too young or too old. Yeah, or you know, I mean, it also depends on what you what you remember, uh, choose to remember, oh, yeah. right? Um, yeah. yeah, that's probably true. <laughs> it sounds like your mom's story is a little more uh, sort of like complicated than the average Danish immigrant to the U.S. Uh, story. Yes. But um, yeah, her dad was but, an ambassador, so she did. A lot oh, of okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because otherwise, I c- I could also tell you that it seems like that Danes, for some reason, they tend to when they move to to the U.S. as immigrants. Um, they tend to just like ditch everything Danish and be like, okay, now, now really? we're, yeah, yeah. This is fascinating. I've been digging into Danish migrant stories a little bit. And there's of course a, com- a couple of communities around in the U S that, that, that are like very big on Denmark and Danish heritage. And I always find it incredibly weird to go to those places because <laughs> it's like this, this weird sort of like psychedelic version of my grandma or something like that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. But, yeah. <laughs> But um, but but what I've found usually is that Danes, what they do when they migrate to the U.S. in particular, and also Canada, is just sort of like slipping under the radar of any sort of like ethnic communities that they could otherwise attach themselves to, and just become sort of like generic American as quickly they just as assimilate possible. Assimilate in; they don't want yeah. to be viewed. Oh, that's interesting. It's really fascinating because. Um, when when you think about it, there there's um, there are like millions of Norwegians and Swedes that have migrated over the years. The Danes mm-hmm. a little less. I think it's around half a million from Denmark proper. But then if you count the uh, parts of of Denmark that were conquered by Germany in the middle of the nineteenth century, uh, then we're actually also getting close to a million of of people who are probably mm-hmm. ethnically Danish. Um, who have migrated, and and so it's it's a similar size community as Norwegians and Swedes, but doesn't have the same uh, amount of like um, huh. uh, sort of like interest in their heritage. Yeah, cultural weight. <laughs> well, that's that's interesting. How yeah. did you feel when you came over here, though? You have you assimilated fully, or um, I have in my own way, absolutely. Mm-hmm. But so when I came over here, I didn't expect to stay. Um, I, I came here as a, an exchange scholar, um, to work at CU Boulder. Um, and my, my plan was to stay here for initially only for three years, there was five years. And in the meantime, I, I, I met, um, my partner and, and, uh, and I was like, well, I can't I leave now. Right now. <laughs> can't go now. No, now we have a house and kids and everything. Like yeah. that. <laughs> we love trapped so, you. <laughs> yeah. Surprise, you're an American. Surprise. Now. <laughs> yeah. 
Because <laughs> I, I go to like Ikea and I always get like Christmas feelings from Ikea, uh, mm-hmm. even like in the middle of July, just because the decorations remind me of how my mom decorates the house at Christmas. <laughs> I get it. Yeah. No, I like, get it. We got to get the Unabarkins out, you know, and I'm like, okay, mom, right. you know, we, we got to get the doll in the house. And I'm like, okay, mom, let's do it. <laughs> I, I, I go to, thankfully the Ikea down in Centennial here in uh, Southern parts of Denver metro area um, has uh, a lot of, delicious food from scandinavia oh nice (laughs) i go there for the fermented fish yeah (laughs) that's a that's a hard no for me matthias (laughs) i understand i I completely understand (laughs) he has not assimilated his his taste for fish (laughs) oh speaking of of fermentation um how about one of my my favorite things to have on a a cool or a warm day, I suppose, is um, mead, which I know is kind of a big thing over in the Nordic lands. If we're talking about pollinators and, um, I guess, Odin's mead of mead of poetry, you mentioned something about bees before. Yeah, yeah. So, um, yeah, getting right into it, the um, it's it's actually there's. Snorri Sturluson, who's an Icelandic chieftain in the 1200s, writes Edda, which is the one of the primary sources we have to Nordic mythology. And he gives us this very interesting story about how Odin gets the, the mead of, of poetry. And it actually... Thought, be, yeah, oh, go sorry. ahead. Um, the, way, the way I remember reading that is a snake, though? There, there's a snake, there's a bird, there's a lot of funky things going on. There's also a guy who gets grinded into mead. Um, (laughs) Well, he gets, he gets bled out. (laughs) Um, And this is, this is where it gets really uh, interesting. Um, So one thing I want to preface this with is that he's an Icelander, when he's writing this Mm -hmm. down, right? Um, That means that his uh, knowledge of uh, biology uh, in general from the Scandinavian mainland is probably very limited. Because Iceland is, a, you know, a, a different type of eco- ecology, right? Right. Oh, yeah. Um, and um, it's a funny little side note. I mean, I, I was born in Denmark, but lived a good chunk of my childhood in Greenland. And um, oh, cool. when we moved back to Denmark, I was like, what are all these things flying around? What 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 is up with all these these little insects like <laughs> i've had like these um you know on on vacation uh we would go to denmark um in the summertime uh, go to a quote-unquote warm country <laughs> for uh, <laughs> for vacation and uh and and i uh, you know I'd, I'd mess around in the woods and i'd see all these weird uh, uh insects and you know freak out because i was you know just familiar with flies mosquitoes mm-hmm. and a couple of spiders and that's it right from from greenland so that's also how you should think about iceland oh, uh, yeah. although iceland has perhaps a little bit uh, a couple more insects here and there but, but the um, primary pollinators in those those lands are flies yes and there's really not a whole lot other going on once you hit the more arctic regions on the exactly yeah. yeah and so it's likely that a guy like Snorri Sturluson would not have been familiar with bees as, as actual bees. He, he had the concept, the, the word, but um, 
did not know what it was. <laughs> <laughs> so this is where we need to start with this story, right? So so what happens? Well, it according to to his way of retelling the story, this begins um, right after the first war of the world, where the Aesir and the Vanya, these two um, divine groups, they have had a battle, and then they've settled a truce. Then they all come together, and they spit in this giant cauldron. As one yes. does. As one does. <laughs> As one does. So Let's this is actually... the truce. <laughs> yeah. um, so what we know about uh, ancient techniques of making booze is that that is actually a way to make fermentation happen. In I believe Japanese sake is made in a similar way. Okay. Um, mm-hmm. I'm I'm not familiar parts with of, um, sake. Uh, as parts a, of South America, the indigenous people will spit into yeah. their fermented fruit drinks. Yeah. Yeah, that I've I've heard of that one before. Yeah, and and we uh, in Scandinavia. Uh, likely had a drink called class and um, that was made in a similar way. Mm, um, okay. You chew, you chew some kind of uh, plant material and spit and mix it with probably berries or something like that. Um, and this um, is really important for the story because what the gods then do is that they create a man named Kvasir, um from this spittle because why not? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and the next thing that he does is that he travels across the cosmos. It's sort of like told that, that he he walks around and visits all the different beings in the world and um, gathers a lot of knowledge. And he's apparently the smartest guy on the planet. And eventually he ends up with the dwarves. And the dwarves are chthonic beings. They live in the underworld. And so if you're a... F- person figure character who comes from our level and you go down there then you die that's that's a thing right that that's what happens in the underworld um so they decide to kill him of course and uh <laughs> <laughs> why not yeah uh, and then they drain his the blood. wrong neighborhood friend <laughs> <laughs> they drain his blood and turn it into mead and then a, a bunch of things happen um, that essentially um, results in the mead then being uh, transported to the bottom of a mountain called Hnitbjörk. And uh, there it is guarded by this giant named Suttungur. His daughter has it there in, in the bottom of the mountain. I love hearing you pronounce all the names, Matthias, because you know, I've read all of this in my head and I don't always know how the proper pronunciation. So this is this is a joy. Yeah, it's <laughs> like someone for whom like the name just easily comes, so not someone being like, um, and then uh, Hem- Hemdall, he did it. And, you know. Well, uh, a, a side note to that is that I'm sure there's a lot of Icelanders that are sitting there and like, oh. This dude uh. has a weird Danish accent when he pronounces <laughs> this stuff. As Americans, we'll we'll take it. <laughs> yeah, sure. <laughs> I mean, it's close enough, I guess. <laughs> um, so next thing is that uh, that Odin realizes that this mead is now kept in the bottom of this mountain, and so he dresses up as a uh, man named Bulverker, and he goes to Suttungur, and he says. Um, he sees the uh, the fields that that, that lay around the, the um, uh, where where Sutung has his hall, 
and um, and he sees these slaves that are harvesting here, um, and then he uh, goes over to them with a, a, a scythe. Uh, no, wait, uh, with a uh, whetstone, so to to um, to sharpen a, uh, their scythes. He sharpens one, and he shows them how easily it cuts the uh, the wheat, and. Then he says, "the the one uh, who can who can get it uh, who can catch it will get it or something like that," and then they all end up fighting each other over it, and then they kill each other. And then Sutung doesn't have any slaves to uh, harvest his fields, and Odin then goes up to him and says, "Look, if you give me a drink of the meat of poetry, then uh, I will do that for you." And he's like, "Okay, well, fine." And then he harvests for him, and then he comes back, and then Sutung is like, "Nah." Nah, not gonna do that. <laughs> so, <laughs> right? <laughs> so, so Bölverker here he uh, makes a deal with Sutton's brother Birgi uh, to um, basically break into the mountain. So they go up into the mountain, they drill a hole, and uh, Odin then realizes that Birgi is trying to uh, you know, trick him, and then he um, uh, turns into a snake and slithers in through the hole then he gets into the bottom of the mountain he spends three nights with Gunla. that's her price um and then he gets to drink the meat of poetry and then he turns into an eagle and flies up and then he flies all the way to ausgather and uh Sutung, of course realizes oh wait a minute he's flying uh there's this eagle flying he's got up and st- stealing the mead so he comes after him he's been bamboozled exactly <laughs> yeah. oh, no. now when odin then comes to the wall of ausgarder he uh he he spits out two portions in two different cauldrons and then as snurri tells us the last part he sent out backwards into uh, Sutung's face. <laughs> and <laughs> Rude. Yes. <laughs> and uh, that one is called the Skalda Fiflachlut, uh, which is which means the the uh, portion that uh, the uh, the bad scowls, the bad poets will get. So, <laughs> so there's also sort of like a a burn to any 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 poor uh, poet out there. <laughs> You've been drinking literally shitty oh, mead, yeah. I guess. <laughs> I, I would not have trusted someone whose name means bail worker. I feel right. like that was a bit of a tip from right? the beginning. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's like yeah, yeah. You should probably have thought of that, my friend. <laughs> Okay, so so how does this relate to bees? And this is where you guys probably know a lot more about all this stuff than I do. But I think we can see a little bit about sort of, um, you know, elements of beehives, uh, patterns of, of bee behavior as well in the, the, the movements and actions of the characters in the story. I oh, think interesting. This is, I was, um, was going to say if you if you imagine them shrinking rather than going yeah, right? to this other world, if they just shrink, suddenly that mountain could be a beehive. The hole could be the entrance to the beehive. But maybe right? that's my imagination going crazy. <laughs> <laughs> no, see, this is where we're in that realm of like the well, what is a legitimate interpretation of this, mm-hmm. and what is sort of more imagination, creative uh, interpretation, so to speak. Um, as if if 
if uh, anyone who has read my uh, my scholarship um, on on Nordic mythology, um, my book uh, on on volcanoes in Old Norse mythology, I, I have that book. It's fantastic. Yeah. Well, thank you. <laughs> well, then, then you also know that that I, I do like to you know, sort of like operate right there. Um, in in that uh, intersection between uh, legitimate scholarly interpretation and and more creative understanding of the mythology, um, which I, I appreciate get... because <laughs> like you said, how do we we don't truly know what the inter- what the real quote interpretation is because we didn't write the story exactly and 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 we should also just keep in mind that you know if thousands and thousands of people have been telling and retelling these stories over and over applying them in their world they must mm-hmm. have had multiple uses right and you know i do get a, a little bit of flack from my uh, peers uh, in this field for 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 having uh, dealt with volcanoes in nordic mythology <laughs> but um i think at the end of the day it's most interesting to see these stories in relation to the actual lives that humans have been living in right. different ecologies, right? Uh, whether it's in, in, in Iceland or it's in Norway, it's Denmark, it's in Sweden or elsewhere in, in Northern Europe, right? We, we should try to understand them in that context, right? And so the, the ecology ran their entire existence. You can't exactly right. <laughs> you know, you are at the at the mercy of nature. Um, probably more so even back when these stories were written than we are now. Absolutely yeah. right, and 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 this is also why they would be relevant in that in that specific context, mm-hmm. rather than you know something that that like t- uh, tells us a lot about like social rules or or whatever else. Right? This is you know, directly ap- applicable knowledge to our lives right here, right now. That's right. how I this perceive is, that. Yeah. As an art historian, my take on it is a little bit uh, based in like, oh, I'm seeing something, so I'm interpreting from it rather than hearing or reading it. But it's often been my problem that they want to, you know, the, the, the people that be, the systems that exist, want to try to explain away things. It's like, well, well, they did this. And I'm like, but why would they do that? People are people are people are people. And they mm-hmm. pretty much have liked the same sorts of things for all time. We all like stories. We've all liked that our whole existence. We've all liked our families for the most part. Let's, let's all talk about, you know, so you can really take these core human moments and try mm-hmm. and think about how history applies to those things like you for me it feels like they often forget the human element of history yeah. and they're and they're going straight for like well this is what i can see so this is what i can <laughs> take from it and i'm like yeah but how does it how would a person interact with that how would well that's person- academia that? yeah that's how <laughs> i get that's yeah. academia yeah maybe that's really my my issue here <laughs> you know they're like oh well they didn't have this such and such because we've never found that i'm like well yeah, but like, let's use some common sense here. Yeah, I mean, yeah, I, mean did. <laughs> I, I, I think there's there is some reason to that. Absolutely, like to to sort of uh, consider that. Well, um, yeah, as you say, people are people are people. <laughs> well, what are um, what are your B interpretations then for that myth, Matthias? Well, what are you seeing? What what I'm seeing is uh, what can be interpreted as the behavior of bees to to some degree, um, as as Amanda just pointed out, right? We have the beehive, we have the the whole com- uh, coming in to the beehive, we we have a queen in there, 
right? Mm-hmm. Oh yeah. Um, who oh, guards yeah. the 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 mead, which is essentially a honey drink, right? All you need is 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 to mix honey and water, and then you hopefully get mead or you get well oh, yeah. that shitty honey stuff. Honey plus the, water the, the plus honey. <laughs> <laughs> right. um, oh, we we have the dwarves as worker bees. Yeah. In yeah. that in that area too, I think. And if you come in, yeah. you die. Yeah. <laughs> If you try to get in, we're gonna sting you to death. <laughs> you you also have um you know he's he's working in the fields uh, as well right mm-hmm. um you know of course the the situation is that he's he's harvesting and he's killing slaves and all that stuff but you know you could also see that as as sort of a, a, a some kind of metaphoric re- relation to uh, um, to, to to pollinating and and mm-hmm. and uh, gathering uh, nectar and exactly mm-hmm. right. And uh, in the same way, the, the there, there, this is actually the story with the highest death count in uh, in, in all of uh, Old Norse mythology, um, except More so for I than guess, Ragnarok. Uh, well, I was just going to say, except for <laughs> Ragnarok. Uh, so, so aside from that one, this this is the story where most people die. <laughs> And uh, again, that's also something that we see, right? And this is something that you know, uh, beekeepers would have known that, that that you know, worker bees they die. Um, there, I would say that there's a lot that you can actually interpret in, in context of, of of the behavior of bees, just by looking at well, well, where where do the 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 two things intersect here? The information from the text, and and what a beekeeper would have known back in the, the the Viking Age or or something like that. And this is where it then gets interesting, right? Because Snedder Sturluson comes from a place that does not have uh, bees have like bees. that, right? Yeah. Um, and he, he would not have known all of that. So this could be a story that has been transmitted from the Scandinavian mainland at some point and then lived in its form in Iceland and then eventually taken form from well the icelandic um uh, environment in general the animals that are present the birds and so on right and um and we should also keep in mind snakes but i've got worms so i'll make a worm into a snake (laughs) i don't have bees so i but i've got eagles so i'll make an eagle (laughs) yeah there you go and we we can see that in a lot of storytelling this is something that happens um in with with many uh, cultures and populations that if they if they move from one location to another location, that new location is slightly different in different ways. There are new types of animals and so on. Older stories um, will be sort of reconfigured uh, into this new environment. Oh, I hear construction sounds, perhaps. Yeah, it's is a, that construction. It, okay, it's I, a okay. saw in the background. Okay, I couldn't tell there. if it was like a, a child's <laughs> toy, but maybe that's just my brain filling in what I hear all day. <laughs> no problem, just so we know what it is. Um, yeah, that's really fascinating. Um, what about the, so Snorri had mead, I'm assuming, right? Come, come in from the mainland, so he knew what that drink was. Is the mead of poetry, would that really have been referred to as mead or would it have had a different name given the lack of bees? Um, they, so that, that's what I was going to say is there is a lot of cultural memory in the Icelandic material, um, in different ways that, that, uh, remembers stuff from the mainland. For instance, 
in, in across the mythology, you can find references to a bunch of trees that have never grown in Iceland. Uh-huh. Um, <laughs> so, so, wow. but yeah. And so, uh, that doesn't, doesn't mean that these Icelanders who were retelling the stories that they actually knew what an oak looked like. Um, but they knew the word oak and they used it. Right. Uh, so this is where there's, you know, a little crossover mixing, uh, in different ways. The, they have a vocabulary, um, but that vocabulary may not always correspond directly to the environment that they're in right Uh, that is the same for alcohol right so you have wine beer and mead that are sort of interchangeable they okay and it's only high status icelanders like snyder stutlerson would have known what wine and and mead were right because he would be able to import it because he could afford that, right? The average Icelander probably didn't really know the difference. And they probably, maybe they didn't even really know what beer was either. Oh, um, those poor guys. Yeah. <laughs> we, have, we have another story that actually seems to relate a little bit to the meat of poetry, where um, um, uh, I think it's beer and then for, uh, fermented um f- fermented yogurt <laughs> or, or yeah overlapping in a in a very gross way uh this is Eil Skatta Grimson, um a, one of the sort of odinic heroes and he ends up like puking all of this uh um uh, this fermented yogurt out into the face of this guy <laughs> oh. yeah. well that's so, what happens when you eat fermented yogurt right <laughs> exactly yeah, but comes back up <laughs> But what it sounds like to me is that they were trying to get drunk off of that. <laughs> so that just tells you that what they had to like deal with here. <laughs> um, so yeah, in that sense, there's you know in 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 Iceland, there's like a cultural memory of a lot of things from mainland Scandinavia. But on the other hand, they don't have the means, resources, and uh, biome to to actually reproduce it in in their immediate yeah. existence right it's fascinating that they would still um share these these tales when they don't have this ecological link to the most of the flora and fauna that are mentioned within these stories um if we go back to mainland um scandinavia and the nordic lands there are there folk tales that do reference bees and other insects and their sort of usefulness we or we have a we not. have a little bit here and there, but again, um, it's it's definitely not the primary focus of of folk tales um, in in Scandinavia. Most of the the stuff that I'm familiar with are actually in context of magic, different mm. kinds of charms mm. and 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 that stuff. Um, it, for instance, there are plenty of Danish charms that, um, or they're not just charms. They're also like prescriptions for what do you do in a situation where you're being chased by bees. Oh. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> it's good to know how to react in that situation. Yeah, yeah, but the solution for it does not seem like a good idea. So, oh, no. so 
so in Danish folk magic, what you have to do when you're being chased by a swarm of bees is you have to pick up some dirt and throw it at the swarm and then say, stay. No, that will not work. No, no, it's like really not a good idea, guys. Have, have you tried this, Matthias, and does it work? Yes. I have not work. tried it. I assume it does not work. I have uh, encountered a swarm of bees only once. <laughs> and that's why the, the bee death count was so high. <laughs> <laughs> um, as a, as a, an entomologist, ecologist, um, it, it, I don't think it would work. I think it would just make them angry. Uh, that's exactly it, what I've been yes. thinking as well. <laughs> it would briefly scatter, scatter them in a couple directions, and then they would immediately come back twice as mad. So I yes. Right. Oh, now you're attacking us. How dare you attack us? We were attacking you. Exactly. Right. <laughs> uh, no, I had read something where um, ladybugs are associated with Freya. I don't. Know uh, yeah, I don't think yeah, it was, that it was that called is... like her beetle or something. It was like Freya's beetle. Yeah, that's yeah. a that's a very very recent invention, probably on oh. the internet. Hmm. We yeah. have to go back and edit our episode about ladybugs now, Kelly. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's usually the case. A lot of is, mm. this is this is the unfortunate thing about it. There's 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 you know when it comes to Nordic mythology and what it really it takes an interest in when we look at you know animals and and such things, it's it's snakes. Like they really like snakes <laughs> for some reason. Snakes. <laughs> Then you have have wolves. That's another thing that they're oh, really yeah. down with. Uh, bear uh, here and there, um, horses and so on. They're they're much more sort of like focused on larger predators or uh, animals that you will find on your farm uh, in in the North Atlantic. So not bees, because you would find bees on farms in, for instance, southern Scandinavia. Um, and uh, and yeah, that's that's really that's really it, unfortunately. Um, I guess and, it makes sense because either you're trying to grow it or you're afraid of it. Right. Yeah, um, and the snakes they sort of like have a, a curious status in in all of this. Mm -hmm. There are so many snakes, they, it, like uh, in in so many different stories, and then also in different lists of like names for different types of snakes. This is something that Snowy Stutterson was also writing down. Again, a guy who would not be particularly familiar with snakes in, right. in his general sort of habitat, right? But he knows like all these weird names for snakes, and um, I think that has something to do with a, a very deep cultural. Um, uh, um, uh, interest in in snakes. For, for instance, um, the 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 look uh, or so a, a certain kind of like piercing look that a hero can have is equated to 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 a, a snake's eye a snake. as well. So so that's there's why something going on there. Concerned about snakes. Why 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 is that such a large part of their? So there, I think you can go two directions with this. One is that, oh, well, we have a, um, a lot of influence on this material from Christian literature. Mm -hmm. And so that might be one uh, option. But I think actually there's something else going on in, in this stuff. I think they just thought it was cool. Yeah. Like it's just, <laughs> cool like just 
<laughs> there's just something about the way that they uh, sort of like talk about snakes and uh, yeah, this uh, reference to you know having eyes like a, a snake um, that is like associated very specifically with high status uh, heroes in, huh. in in Nordic mythology yeah. and and the saga literature in general. Um, it just seems like that that was a, sort of like in, in a cultural context. We think this is cool. <laughs> so, well, I mean, so we're, that's, we're, that's like getting back. Cool. I can't say that they're <laughs> wrong about this. I mean, they don't have legs. How do they move? That makes no sense. You know, they've got the, this forked tongue. No one else has a forked tongue. That's crazy. You know, like, I, I don't blame them. And if you meet a snake, it's a problem for you a lot of the time because they're very yeah. deadly. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You do have um. You have an uh. An, there are adders, I think, in the north. Yes. Um. So they're probably yes. both. Yep. Real cool to look at, but also a little scary. We have adders, and we we also have, uh, I think, two types of vipers, right? So there there's like a, a couple of snakes that would yeah. be around in general. I, I right? think you have a water snake up there too, which is harmless. I don't remember what it's called. It's probably like something boring, like the common European water snake. <laughs> <laughs> the typical water boy. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Yeah. But like, like Amanda was saying, people are people are people, right? Yeah. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Everyone thinks snakes are cool. Oh, good. Derek is helping me out here. I was close. It's the um, European smooth snake. Smooth snake. <laughs> smooth snake. <laughs> and a uh, European grass snake. So both boring names, but <laughs> harmless. <laughs> the names in but, ecology are always like, it's the it's the lightning quick snap viper or it's the boy, you know? yeah oh he's either awesome or he's just like oh there he is R really boring <laughs> <laughs> but of course i mean this all begs the question look why why isn't there more stuff in in sort of the nordic realm when it comes to insects um because you can go to other places on, on the planet and you can find uh, indigenous populations that have a lot of mythology mm -hmm. and folklore oh, yeah. around uh, various kinds of, um, of, of uh, spiders. spiders. Spiders are a common theme. Dragonflies. Yeah. 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 Um, and also, you know, stories that associate certain trees with certain spiders, mm -hmm. um, especially because you want to be aware of those spiders because they're deadly and they tend to hang out in this particular tree, that kind of stuff, right? And I, I think it's because our, 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 you know, overall, our insects are not that deadly in, in the north. Oh, like interesting. There, there aren't that many that can sort of uh, sting you or lay eggs in you or whatever and, you know, kill you. <laughs> uh, and, um, uh, and and so, so you don't really need to, to generate a lot of, you know, stories around that and and around the significance of them because they're just like oh it's okay so there's like a weird looking fly over here and there's like this, yeah. this kind of this wasp has a long snout of some kind whatever i'm gonna go in this direction now. Yeah. that kind of stuff right? it's kind of it feels to me like kind of one of those things where like it's so common that it's not worth talking about it's like how in england there was a third there's salt and pepper and then there was a third spice and mm -hmm. we can see that because all these sets are sold in threes but no mm -hmm. one knows what was in that third spice because it was such a commonplace item that no one ever wrote it no down. one wrote it down <laughs> no one wrote it down 
So it's like maybe it was maybe it was ginger, maybe it was sassafras. I don't know because no one ever thought that that was important enough to put in writing. So we just don't know. Even though it was only like two hundred years ago, we have no idea. So oh, you know, funny. bugs just might be one of those things that are like, yeah, there's some bugs. You know about bugs. We don't need to talk about it. <laughs> well, it's it's interesting to me that so many other cultures have um, weaver stories, and they generally mm. use spiders as an example. Mm. But we don't see that, I don't think, in Nordic mythology. The only weaving thing I can think of, and Matthias, correct me if I'm wrong, was um, the uh, net that Loki was making before he became a salmon. And then I guess the weaving of uh, Loki's children or one of his ch- children out of the other one's intestines to bind him. But yeah, not, there's yeah. no like weaver Loki story. gets up to some wild stuff, y'all. He <laughs> Loki, does, yeah. Loki's out here having like six-legged horse babies. He's wild. Eight, eight-legged, Amanda. He's eight-legged? He, he, oh, yes. He's an arachnid, yeah. he's an arachnid yeah. horse? I'm into that. <laughs> well, so this... This is the other sort of situation where we can look at uh, things that seem to associate with a certain figure in Nordic mythology and then suggest, well, maybe there's actually some, some references to spiders here in, in context of Loki. This is, this, these are uh, theories that have been po- posed by scholars uh, as well, that, that Loki, um, and this also goes into a certain interpretation of the etymology of his name that that it could mm. actually mean spider uh in oh. at least in certain dialects in in, in scandinavia and um and yeah he's a what, what well what is he he is a a figure in the mythology who is uh, sort of like tied up in in a bunch of uh um quote-unquote chains that they the the term that they use in the old norse language is bend and that just means bands you know, mm-hmm. so that could be a lot of different things, and um, on, it's just sort of in the underworld, right? And yeah, that that could be an image of a spider as well. It it doesn't have to be uh, sort of a, a a dude laying there in 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 chains, um, like we see it in uh, romantic uh, uh, art in the nineteenth century. It, it it could also be a spider. Um, he is also the sh- primary shapeshifter. He's the one who turns into a fly at one point in the story about how Brock and Sindri are making all the weapons that the gods have and all the other cool things like Freyr's golden boar and a ship that can be folded into a little leaf that you could put in your pocket and all that kind of stuff, right? And he's trying to sabotage that situation and then he turns himself into a fly and, and nibbles in the uh, in one of the uh, dwarf's eyes uh, to, to sabotage the whole thing. Um, so, yeah, he could also turn into... A a a, uh, a spider. I I I would assume like that that is is very possible as well. And also something to keep in mind here is that in especially in the story about Ragnarok, as it is uh, uh, relayed in Verlospal, the prophecy of the seeress. Mm-hmm. Um, there's a lot of talk about how the world essentially is held together with strings or bands or chains, and once Ragnar comes around, all of those uh, chains, they break. And so there's like a constant reference to sort of like chains being broken or links being broken. And this seems to suggest sort of like a general idea that the world is held together by, by 
by these strings that are going out. And we see this reference a lot too. We see it in a, in another poem about this hero called Helgi, where in the beginning, the Norns, they f fasten golden chains in the, uh, the sky. Um, and then they stretch them out over the lands that he will rule. And so this is a recurring uh, metaphor and reference. I mean, this and sounds like spider silk to me. Exactly yeah. right. So <laughs> this is this is where the spider becomes a really relevant uh, figure, I would say. And again, um, we don't see direct references to spiders, but you know, we could assume perhaps that there is some underlying notion of this spiders making the webs. This is again something that you know, Scandinavians would be familiar with Icelanders as well. Um, we have some, you know, really awesome spiders of, of various kinds, um, especially oh, the... All spiders are awesome. Yeah. Yes. Okay. Yeah, yes. Um, but there, there's one that's sort of like very prominent in, in, in southern Scandinavia where you would, they make these big, really beautiful webs and they sit in the middle of them. We call them, I don't know what they're called in English, but in, in, in Danish, the, the, the word that we, uh, the, the name that we have given them translates to a, to a cross spider because it, it oh, looks okay. like it has a cross on the back. Yeah, we um, have those here. They're, they're imports. Um, oh, really? We call them European cross, cross spiders. And uh, okay. they're a form of orb weaver. Yeah. Very cool. Very like, thick. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, I just Googled it real yeah. fast. I recognize these guys. Yeah, they have like a big fat body. And yeah. Yeah. Oh, yeah. What, what happens when you when you walk through a, a, a meadow in uh, sort of uh, perhaps in, in, in the early fall, or you will you will see them. They're big webs in um, the, the brushwood bushes mm. whatever is, is around and they will have dew on them as well so this would be oh, something, beautiful yeah it's really beautiful and yeah. this is something that anybody would have seen back in in, in whenever i <laughs> i think it, we've only gotten to the point now where you're not seeing it that that much anymore because we're so busy farming and uh and killing off uh insect life around us right so there oh, are fewer yeah. and fewer of them um and um, uh, so, so, so this again, you know, making such references to webs, uh, making references to, to chains, links, and bonds, and all that stuff, I think would have easily generated such ideas in people's minds right. as well. And when you didn't have Snorri Sturluson, uh, not Snorri, sorry, I always mix him up with lo uh, like mythological figures. I was talking about Loki. <laughs> it's because this guy, he was a bit of an Odin slash Loki f figure historically as well. <laughs> so, um, Yeah, his whole history is a bit crazy. It is. It is very crazy. <laughs> I, I don't understand. Um, maybe I shouldn't say this publicly because I should write uh, that <laughs> movie manuscript myself, but I don't understand why somebody hasn't made sort of like a Braveheart story oh, about, yeah. about Snurri because I that, there's, that. it's got everything. He's got <laughs> like half of like how many uh, secret lovers i'm sure there's like <laughs> 10 10 different women in his lives there he's got like his his own worst enemy is his brother and you know like it's it's a, it's like game of thrones it is game of thrones yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. so uh, that's that's definitely worth a, a a tv series or something like that but i i know, I know that within the greater um 
uh, pagan community, I've heard that uh, Loki is associated with spiders for them, though I'm not quite sure whether it's etymologically a thing or... Um, I'm sure that there are people who uh, who associate him with spiders. It probably comes from that scholarly theory that has theorized that that, that these these are sort of more, more metaphors for spiders, um, which again I, I think is actually quite legitimate. Um, you know, the when when it comes to sort of the 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 pagan community, you see a wide range of attitudes towards Loki, like. There's mm-hmm. some who perceive him as sort of like a, a, you know, Nordic mythological version of the devil right. slash Judas. And then you have, you know, uh, all kinds of variations from there. Um, there are also, uh, I know that a lot of uh, LGBTQ plus uh, people have uh, sort of also, you know, latched on to him as, 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 as a figure I, I guess we should actually call him a they because he, they're right. switching yeah. between genders and, and all that stuff. Yeah. So, so, so that's going to do what Loki got to do. Exactly yeah. right. <laughs> and so, so yeah, so, so people have a lot of different ideas about him and, um, and, and, and what that particular mythological figure is, mm-hmm. which I think is cool. That's, that's exactly the, the kind of life a, a, a mythological figure, a deity should have, right? Um, being able to, to sort of insert themselves in, in people's minds as, as in, in as in many creative ways. As, it, yeah. yeah, in a modern sense, yeah. <laughs> I mean, I just that's keep thinking cool. about the, you said that thing about him being uh, bound in string, and I'm uh, looking at this picture of this this orb weaver spider right in the middle of this big web. If you imagine that the spider isn't the one in control of that web, it would be mm-hmm. a very captive position in the middle yeah. of this big sticky net. Essentially, if if they're not the spider in charge of that net, that that could be bad for you. Right. <laughs> but that's how they that's how they catch you know all their bugs and stuff. So. Mm-hmm. Sticking him right in the middle of a big web. That's a very poetic sort of imagery. Yeah. I'm into that. I'm into that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so that's, that's sort of like the other option here that, that uh, Loki uh, can be a spider as well. And I think it's a very legitimate uh, interpretation. Um, I think it works out well. Yeah. Um, and this is, you know, it, when it comes to interpreting Nordic mythology in, in context of, um, um, biology and geology for that matter what you need um and this is you know if you're a listener and you're not familiar with the language um this is probably the the, the component that will escape you uh, all these names that that these characters have they have meaning right mm-hmm. and um meaning that can be interpreted either as analogies for something or in, in a more direct sense. Um, and, and we know that this was something that uh, people did because this is what skaldic poetry, the traditional Nordic style of poetry relies on creating additional meaning by, by making analogic references all the time, right? This is what a kenning is. So the, the most common uh, form of doing that is, uh, for instance, calling a ship the, uh, the, the steed of the fish way, right? So mm-hmm. a steed 
is something that you ride, right? The fishway yeah. is the ocean because this is where fish they commute, right? So so that's that's the kind of stuff that they would do all the time. And this would also be embedded in names. And so when you go through the catalog of names in a story and you look at like what does that name mean, what does that name mean, and so on, you will then all of a sudden realize, oh wait a minute. There's a whole another world of meaning. There's a second story going on. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> There's a whole another illusion I've been unprivy to because I've been reading this translation this whole time where they just keep his name as as whatever it was. So they don't call him Spit Boy, but the Spit Boy is important yeah. to know. <laughs> it's important to know that he's a Spit Boy. And it's it's through all this that I mean, like we were talking about earlier with the with um Odin and the potential beehive of a mountain in it it's all like read between the lines in yeah. these these things right which is yeah. fascinating and how much of this was oral tradition as well where there's visual cues that you don't get unless you're watching it right and you know? i mean all of it uh had a life as as oral um stories before it was written down or most of it at least um the uh edic poetry is we can see that that is all designed to be performed orally. Mm-hmm. Uh, we know that that was the tradition behind skaldic poetry as well. Um, and by the way, when I use the term skaldic and edic poetry, that's those are modern uh, inventions. Like when we talk about those two different genres, that's not how they would have talked about it in the Viking Age. They would just have been talking about poetry. Right, <laughs> they they would have different meters for different types of poetry, for different social situations, for different purposes, and so on. But they they would just refer to it all as like poetry, and um, and so these are like modern uh, inventions by scholars that have been looking at it and been like, oh, this is this type of poetry, that's that type of poetry. We have this in this literature and so on. But that's really our modern tendency to you know right. categorize and and. Uh, more than anything else, but yeah, they, they would have performed all of this orally. They would the sagas, the, these long extended narratives that were written down at one point. They they would have performed those in some form or other in uh, in in an oral setting as well. And once they became literature, it would still have been a situation where somebody would have sat and read, and people would have been listening to it, and there would be some level of uh, theatrics going on as well. Right. Yeah. So, so there's there's definitely a lot of visual cues that we're missing, and oral cues as well, right? That we just don't have any longer. It's fascinating how deep all of these layers really go. Do you do you have any other examples of insects in charms or? Uh, let's see. Just the throw dirt at bees. <laughs> that's that's the one that comes to mind. I'm I'm sure I'm probably forgetting a couple here and there. Um, yeah, unfortunately, I can't really. Um, like I wish there was like a sort of like a a, a folk tale that really gives right. us. Um, but but. There aren't really any like traditional ones that I can remember that are like, you know, um, sort of a hints at the, the a deep cultural relation to 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 any any insects. Unfortunately, right. well, if you happen to think any others, we're happy to have you back. Yeah, uh, <laughs> on a future. Um, or I mean, you want to go, uh, you want to work together on a little paper, my friend. 
about <laughs> bugs and <laughs> bugs and Nordic lands, you let you uh, send me a little note. Yeah, <laughs> I'm sure. I'm yeah, sure I can help with that little collaboration. Yeah, we are just a little over an hour. Uh, we don't want to take up too much of your time. Uh, was there anything else you wanted to talk about while you're here with our captive audience? Oh, that's, you know, that's a dangerous question to ask because I never shut up. <laughs> I, I mean, I, thinking, I, oh, yeah. You were talking about snakes a minute ago, and I, I just realized that, like, there's that whole scene in Thor Ragnarok where Loki turns into a snake and then stabs Thor. So that now oh. is on brand that he would turn into a snake. <laughs> right. Yeah. Several times. <laughs> yeah. I, I mean, the, you know, it, I think it's always fascinating to, to, to um, look into what kinds of, um, you know, animal life is actually present in, in a mythology and, um, and and also well well what role does it play in context of these anthropomorphic uh, figures that are also mentioned um and and play a, a important role and um i think you know when it when it comes down to it if we look at the archaeology of of viking age scandinavia what we can see is is a lot of flight there's a lot of, of imagery of, of, you know, it's not just birds. It's also um, like human. Look, he's got some shoes, right? Um, yeah, that's, 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 that's Snorri's interpretation based on his knowledge of Greek mythology. Oh, Snorri. Crossover. There's a lot to be said about what he actually did to the mythology. Well, yeah, well, because there's a lot of that, right? We a lot of our traditions are still we're all kind of playing this game of telephone with mm-hmm. our own cultural backgrounds of like, oh, and you know, the Christianity comes up, Christianity yeah. goes down, was a Christian, you know, so right, yeah. so like, oh, I gotta convince these people to adhere to Christianity. I'll start pulling things from what they know and put it into mine. Oh, okay, this Christmas tree, it's for Christmas now. So you can just forget about anything else to do with this tree. It's Christmas now. You, mm, I've taken it. And like a bunch of our traditions are that sort of stuff, at least, you know, to, yeah. to my American experience. is like just I'll take a little of this, take a little of that, take a little of this. So now what's everyone not agrees a... it's palatable now. What, so actually what – the way that we should approach an author like Snorri Sturluson is that we should understand uh, Christianity as the dominating um, scientific paradigm of his time. Mm-hmm. So um, he's he's doing more than simply just saying uh, things like, oh, uh, we, we should believe in God or uh, that kind of stuff. Uh, he has actually refashioned Nordic mythology, these traditional stories that have been told by individuals living in an entirely different world than, you know, a Christian world. He's taking these stories and then he's putting them into a framework that is defined uh, by Christianity. So that's why Edda begins with God created the world, Adam and Eve, then the flood, like that's what he starts with. Keep that in mind, and then he gives us a very complicated I like to explanation. Skip that part. <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> <laughs> the, 
then he gives us a very complicated uh, explanation for how there can be people who believe in other things than Christ and God. Because this is a big philosophical problem in, in the medieval period. Um, because, you know, the assumption is here that God created the world and humans were created to believe in God. So why is it that there are humans that don't believe in God, right? <laughs> right. Maybe you don't get that. <laughs> and this is where he, he then uh, latches on to old Greek um, explanations for, um, I mean, Hellenic philosophers had multiple ideas about what, 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 where does religion come from and all that stuff, right? And the one that's favored by medieval Christians is uh, uh, euhemerism, where it's essentially the explanation is that um, once upon a time, there were these really cool people who did really awesome things, then they died. And then their descendants started uh, basically worship, uh, worshiping them as deities because they'd forgotten the name of God. That's mm -hmm. that, that, that's the explanation, right? This goes back to Eumeros, who was a, a Greek philosopher who once theorized, I think it was like 400 something BC or something like that. Maybe it was a little earlier, uh, later. Um, but, but sometime before Christianity theorized that, you know, deities are just uh, humans that have lived once and then we ended up venerating them, which, you know, to an extent is also true because you do see uh, different types of non-Christian traditions doing that, right? You know, mm -hmm. somebody becomes elevated to, to the state of deity right. uh, posthumously, right? So, so he wouldn't, he wouldn't be wrong in that sense, right? Um, but yeah, so that's, it's fascinating yeah. <laughs> how this gets all twisted and yeah. changed, and how, yeah, how much it, history have we lost yeah. because of this, right? Right, but it, it like means no then, culture is standing on its own; they're all influencing each other, and we can't really unknot those strings of where they right. start to overlap. Exactly, and but it also means then that when he when we're reading these stories, we need to keep in mind that they are intended to be fashioned as stories about humans, and next layer is of course that they came from Troy, right? Mm. So Aristotle <laughs> tells us that they, yeah. they they escaped after the the, the Trojan oh, War. Oh, and so what are you also... doing? <laughs> what are you doing, buddy? So he's also <laughs> telling us that all of these stories are actually allegories of what happened during the war at Troy. So right. when 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 Thor is fishing for the Midgard serpent, that's actually uh, Hector um, being coaxed out by Achilles with the oh, head of, of, of some dead guy named Polocrontus, whose <laughs> name we don't actually know. I, we don't actually know where that comes from, that name. But so, yeah, Snorri is, uh, is doing a lot of funky stuff with the, <laughs> with the mythology. <laughs> Producer Derek is time. calling it um, Ennead fan fiction. <laughs> exactly. That is very much what it is. <laughs> it's a lot of fan fiction going on in that era. You know, a lot of, uh, a lot of, oh, I mean, like people want to harsh on stuff. Dante straight up writes a fan fiction about himself going into <laughs> self-insert fan fiction. He gets to meet all his heroes and they're all like, wow, you're a cool dude, Dante. And he's like, thanks, I knew. <laughs> <laughs> Well, speaking speaking of fan fiction, because we are uh, sometimes a, a comic book podcast, occasionally. Uh, <laughs> occasionally, Matthias, what are your thoughts on Marvel Thor and that world? Does um, it make you angry? Where does it make me angry? <laughs> no, 
No, it doesn't make me angry. I How many angry have... sighs have you done? Like, oh, all right, I guess we're doing that. All right. Mm-hmm. No, so I mean, I I don't get angry about um, you know people creatively using Nordic mythology. Um, this this happens in all cultures and in Scandinavia as well. Like I grew up with this uh, you know very popular comic book called Valhalla. Um, and, um, and, and, you know, all the, the characters, all the, 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 the figures of Nordic mythology are like, you know, pretty silly caricatures. Right. Right. Uh, and, and so that's, we, we're very used to that, um, in, in Scandinavia, I would say, um, the, the Marvel universe is, um, is interesting in the sense that, you know, here it has all been interpreted as like aliens essentially right um and and that's i i would guess sort of like a modern theory on where gods come from that they're aliens you know it goes back to some of the early new age stuff the the idea that there is like an an ancient super people living somewhere this is where it actually marvel gets a little problematic because they're actually borrowing from old very racist theories mm, right um and, and that's token that problem <laughs> uh, the token problem yeah that's that's <laughs> why like, i have like uh, uh, maybe maybe some reservations because if you go back to the 19th century there's uh, you know the the idea that these aryans were a, an ancient super races is sort of you know circulating a lot and it goes into science fiction um what, what was his name edward b Lytton wrote a book called the great race or something like that where he theorizes that there was this ancient race living in hollow earth and actually that book then became a lot of weird nazi theories later on right yeah there's been kind and, of a resurgence of like oh uh, yeah, yeah, it's not yeah. been good. It's not been good. <laughs> yeah, and this is this is where there's you know hints of that in in Marvel's versions of Nordic mythology as well, um, which I I think they should have uh, weeded out before they yeah. uh, made these very popular movies. <laughs> <laughs> but they're fun. I think in the end, there the movies are fun, and yeah, you know. No one should a very straightforward version of like, he's his yeah. dad, yeah. he's his mom, that's their sister. You know, like, we're not going to yeah. get into how complicated that actually is. So. <laughs> right. Well, Mat- Matthias, thank you so much for yeah. coming. Um, Can you tell the people where to find you? Yes. Uh, so the people can find me on Instagram. If you just put in my name, Matthias Nordvig, M-A-T-H-I-A-S-N-O-R-D-V-I-G. Um, and that would also be my website. You can just write my name.com and find my website and figure out what I do otherwise. And of course you should listen to my podcast, uh, the sacred flame podcast, which you can find on pretty much any platform that has podcasts available. It's um, great. I've yeah, listened, I'm up to date on it and it's, what's wonderful. So Awesome. It was my so recommendation, folks. Give it a listen. <laughs> it's sort of my. Uh, I'm. 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 I'm sort of trying to extract uh, 
contemporary life philosophy from Nordic mythology and also my, my knowledge of history in, in, in different ways, fusing those fields and then saying, oh, well, here's here's hopefully a solution to you <laughs> of some kind. <laughs> it's, it's great. Um, uh, you do a nice job of, even like you said with your books and your, your research papers, you've kind of got this different take on stuff. And it's, mm. it's not strictly the usual academic take. That's, so it's fun. That, I'm, I'm glad to hear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll put all that stuff in the show notes too, so folks can find you. Um, awesome. Thank you. Really, thank you so much. This has been very fun. Very fun. I hope, <laughs> I hope you had a good time. Very fun. I, I had a great time. <laughs> thank you so much for inviting me on here. Bugs Need Heroes is created by Derek Conrad and Kelly Zimmerman. Hosted by Amanda Allen Nide and Kelly Zimmerman. Bugs Need Heroes is produced and edited by Derek Conrad. Our music is Ladybug Castle by Roll Music. All character art by Amanda Allen Nide. Got a bug question? Email us at bugsneedheroes at gmail.com. Check us out on bugsneedheroes.com for the visual companion to our episodes with the artwork of the bug-related heroes. We also have an Instagram, Twitter, and subreddit under the Bugs Need Heroes name. Thanks for coming by. But the spit boy is important.